Welcome to Middle School Walk and Talk, a podcast series offering heart, hope, and health to members of our middle school communities. Hosts Phil Fagel and Jessica McGuire talk all things self-care, student well-being, school culture, and more. Middle School Walk and Talk is designed to support the concepts found in the successful middle school, This We Believe, and is a production of the Association for Middle Level Education. To learn more, visit amle.org. Today's episode, we are so done pivoting with special guest Kelly Coach Johnson. Hi, Phyllis. How are you doing today? I'm good. It's so good to actually meet you in person for the first time here at the AMLE 50 conference and to get to do, I think, seven or eight podcast episodes in a row over the next two days. We're busy the next couple of days and we have some amazing guests. We've just kicked off the conference with the first general session of the morning and the excitement is pretty high at the conference. Our first guest is Kelly Coash Johnson and Kelly's the director of the American Association of School Personnel Administrators. Kelly, can you tell us a little bit about your organization and how the work of the organization has relevance to middle-level education? Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here at the 50th conference. And um, so ASPA is the National Association for School HR Directors, primarily. So we... um, work with a lot of assistant superintendents, um, HR directors, etc., that are really charged with the human capital leadership of school districts nationwide. Uh, we do have representation in every single state. We love to partner and work with other uh, educational associations like AMLE, um, and uh, we've been working really hard with those groups in um, addressing the educator shortage because we all know that we're all in this boat together and um, it's been exciting work. One of the things I think we all are aware of and I I half jokingly say that the teachers are no bueno, the principals are no bueno, but the truth is they're no bueno. Mm. It's an impossible job and people are done pivoting. They've had enough of being flexible. They're tired. They have decision fatigue for all the decisions they've made. What have you found in your research that we can share with educators that they can use on the ground in their schools? Absolutely. So about uh, three years ago, two and a half years ago, um, we got together and decided that, you know, the other problem with education sometimes is that we all tend to work in silos. So it's real easy to finger point. And and what we found is that K-12 was finger pointing at uh, higher ed, higher ed was finger pointing at departments of ed, and it was this really cyclical process. And we thought, you know, how about we do something where all of us can get together and talk about the educator shortage and specifically start with the barriers and challenges and then move through to some promising practices. So we hosted the very first National Educator Shortage Summit where we did bring together all of those different partners and stakeholders, which included um, middle-level educators. It included teachers as well as administrators, as well as HR and higher ed departments of ed. And then we we invited, of course, all of our um, association friends uh, to be a part of it as well. And um, first of all, we assigned seats. So nobody was able to sit with their friends. They all had to meet new friends and talk about 
the barriers and challenges. And uh, what came out of that first event was the five shifts to address the educator shortage, which is a white paper. I love to share about it because it's not a it's not a, a, a researcher document that is belongs to HR. It belongs to all of these groups that gathered to do this. And so we really wanted to focus on um, what what we could work on together in different areas. So uh, the paper itself uh, we developed after that first event broke down um, the the the, sh the barriers and and such into five different categories. The first one we wanted to reduce barriers to careers in education while maintaining standards of excellence. We wanted to design comprehensive human capital management systems. We wanted to establish transparent and equitable total reward systems. So that's like that's like moving away from just increased educator pay. We really wanted to dive and, and talk about the transparent and equitable total reward system. Then we got into strengthening educators' sense of purpose, belonging, and connection, which is huge. And then um, number five was that deliver exceptional employment experiences. So those were the five shifts that, that we really focused on. And the way that the paper is aligned is that if you are in a public school system, you can look at um, areas that you can that you can address with these five. If you're in higher ed, there is separate areas for you, departments of ed, and there's even sections for uh, federal, state, um, government, as well as associations. The, the aspect that relates to belonging struck me, that sense of purpose. I think it's tied to the transparent and equitable system of rewards because when people feel powerless or when they feel like they have no ability to impact change and they don't even know how those rewards are distributed, it contributes that, to that lack of belonging you're talking about and the mental health problems that we're seeing. What would you recommend if there's a principal, like Jessica listening, yeah. and they see that teachers are desperate for really transparent, clear, equitable policies, mm -hmm. yet they're not sure their voice is being heard, and principals want to help teachers feel more empowered within whatever system they're operating in. Are there things that they can do? Yeah, so um, so let, let's go forward a little bit to that uh, educator's sense of purpose, belonging, and connection. That one probably gets the most talked about um, because uh, I think if we really think about it, that's, that's where we have the most problems. And uh, so areas that are in there, the meaningful work, the autonomy, and the community building. And where we've seen a lot of promising practices has been under that community building piece and that uh, teaming together uh, with different models in a school district. And then my favorite is those employee resource groups. Um, we're seeing a lot of affinity groups come out of, of different districts to really work on that community building, um, examining educators' schedules to provide protected time for them to collaborate with peers. That is a shift, that is a piece in there to, to, um, 
to look at that community building. And then under that shift also is diversity, equity, and inclusion. And um, I think what, what I like to tell our folks, so when I talk to HR about what they should be doing, one of the things I say is it is never a one-size-fits-all anymore. And I would say that to principals um, as well, which, which means that whatever you're doing in your building to strengthen your educator's sense of purpose, belonging, and connection has to be very um, unique to who you're working with. So that means onboarding programs are not all the same anymore. They should be very unique to to your group that you're working with. Mentor programs need to be completely different for uh, different groups of people. Um, and then hopefully, if, if we can invest in those types of opportunities for educators to grow, that then leads into that sense of purpose, belonging, connection. Um, with the, the pay piece, right, that's where um, the reason I wanted to bring up this first is because the pay piece is not just your base salary. It also needs to be looked at in the form of supports, like I just mentioned, and what other things are we offering incentive-wise. You know, one thing that I hear a lot of is that not every teacher wants to be a principal, right? They don't always want to, they don't, everybody does not strive to climb that ladder, but we do strive to become experts in our own field. And we do want to continue to grow and learn. And by putting some value on that as a reward system and to say, we want to support you in whatever direction you want to go, that's that equitable, um, system that says uh, everybody has an opportunity to grow one way or the other. That's interesting to me when we talk about the climate and culture just of the educators in a school building. We spend so much time talking about building belonging with our students. We're not always very good building belonging amongst ourselves. Um, You talked about another part of the white paper that was reducing barriers Mm -hmm to get into the field of education. I'm interested on what are some of the largest barriers. Mm -hmm. And in this morning's keynote, um, it was talked about that as a middle level educator, a lot of times when you state you work in a middle school with early adolescents, that some of the common responses are, oh, bless you, oh, I'm so sorry, that must be wild. (laughs) And that we as educators really have to carry the banner. We talk about that at my school, and it's probably no different than other schools across the nation, that as an educator, you should really carry the banner for education. But as a middle-level educator, you have to carry that banner and kind of squelch some of the stigma of working with early adolescents because it's the we're all doing it because it's the best job in the world. But I think that that can be a barrier specific for our field and our middle level educators and the jobs shortage just in that way when the perception sometimes is that that is the most difficult time of education. Um, Did you find that that was a barrier and what are the other barriers that we're seeing? Yeah so you know that barrier came up a lot in in higher ed in the sense that um, 
uh, higher ed is struggling so much, just like everybody else, to recruit, you know, students to the college, at the college level. And as a result, they have just blanketed education recruitment and they're not being unique to different areas of education, you know, and, you know, another great example is, is that we see colleges that they're focusing so much on special education because there's such a need for special education, but the truth is there's such a need everywhere. And so um, having that conversation with higher ed was really good to, to learn what can they do differently to entice educators to understand the great areas, including middle level. Um, so that was a piece. Obviously the biggest barrier I think that, that we see is affordability. And we see uh, nationwide um, certification requirements. And so uh, from my perspective, I get I have the best job in the world because I just get to hear about certification requirements from just a variety of different states all over the country. And they're all different. They're all different. And um, really looking, so state departments under their recommended things is to really look at what are the certification requirements for elementary, middle level, and high school. And I do think that middle level, sometimes you get dumped into secondary, sometimes you get pulled back into elementary, and um, there's never quite a specific certification, you know, set for middle level. And, but there might be barriers because if you have a middle level uh, educator who, who um, has that secondary degree, but they want to teach the early middle level, in some states they can't because they don't have that elementary level certification. And that's kind of a messed up system. It's also kind of ironic because when I travel to schools around the world, really, what I see is that the middle schoolers are the same everywhere. It doesn't matter if it's an all-girls school, an all-boys school, a public school, a private school, rural, urban. Whereas when I'm talking to younger elementary or to high schoolers, they're so much more impacted by the other things that are going on in their environment and in their homes. Whereas middle schoolers are just so distinctly tweenish, mm -hmm. which everybody listening will understand yes. what I mean. So if there's any age group that requires very specific, distinct training, mm -hmm. it would be that middle school level. And I actually think, and this ties into what you discovered about PD professional development, mm -hmm. when I talk to educators at all boys schools or all girls schools, there's this camaraderie and there's this sense that they're all in it together because they're all experts in boys or girls, not to be too binary in my language, but that's something that binds them all together and they are able to not personalize things maybe in the same way because they have such a deep understanding of, of the different ways that kids learn. Mm -hmm. Whereas we don't do that for middle level educators. We don't do a lot of PD around the age and stage and phase and characteristics. And I think that if we could build more pride mm -hmm. and more of that common language, people would take more pride in the work and be more interested in pursuing it. I agree, and that's exactly what I thought of when you were talking is that idea of PD specific. Mm -hmm. And so, and, and again, if, if we know 
that middle-level educators aren't getting some of that um, uh, teaching and learning in the, in, the, in the higher ed level, then that puts a lot of pressure on us as school districts to make sure that their professional growth is what they need for where they're at. And again, one size does not fit all. It, you should never go to a professional growth event um, and have it for elementary and expect middle school to just lump in with them. That, that doesn't work anymore. So um, that's that customization piece. One of the other things I was thinking about, and this was uh, from a podcast interview we did with Rick Wormley a while back, he talked about how, yeah, some of the professional development that our teachers need and our administrators need relates to the kids that they're serving, but that sometimes what we need to help them feel energized is to let them choose professional development that has absolutely nothing to do with their work at all, to spend a day at a museum studying art, and I think that goes back to this idea of burnout, of the decision fatigue, of all of the challenges that our educators have experienced over the last several years. Even very nitty gritty things, I've heard teachers complain that they'll do professional development that they get to choose, and then they have a really hard time getting their school system to reimburse them, mm -hmm. even though they had said they would, and there's this lack of trust that the school will follow through, there's that helplessness or powerlessness, and I think we need to do a lot of trust building between central offices mm -hmm. and the on-the-ground educators. Mm -hmm. At this point, I actually think there might be more trust between teachers and their administrators within the same building than, mm -hmm. it's like Oz, you know, yeah. who's behind the curtain. Yeah. Well, and I've recently heard too that, that folks are having a hard time getting subs to cover so they can do professional development. <laughs> And, and I get it, right? Like we have a shortage of substitutes too, but you can't, you can't take that away. It is so important. Um, I'm gonna have t-shirts made that say, retention is the new recruitment. And so Love a it. lot of, of what we talk about in these five shifts is you can recruit all day long, but until you learn how to retain, it's not gonna matter. And that's why, protecting time for your teachers and educators to do that professional growth. And you're right, it may not be on a new curriculum that they're expected to implement. It might be on something completely different, um, but it's all important to re retain them. It's the same thing we do for kids that we yeah, don't do is, for yeah, ourselves. Yeah, yeah. To give the educators voice and choice in what they want to learn about mm -hmm. and to have that protected time for them in order to do that. As you were talking, I was also thinking about retention, but also promoting and building from within. Mm -hmm. In my school district, that fortunately does happen quite a bit that um, we have staff that go back to school and get their educational degrees um, because they see some of the good things happening and they want to be more involved in that. And that upward mobility that you were talking about that can be part of your culture and, and should be outside of looking uh, for graduates or outside of your school district. And I think that incentivizing professional development is a big thing because while educators do things all the time outside of work hours and for no or little pay, 
um, when you can incentivize that monetarily as a district, if you're in a position to do so, it does make it seem important and honored. It um, does. And and by the way, it's like not everybody wants to go back to graduate school, you right. know. And so I think a lot of districts we've gotten into the habit of saying uh, incentivizing means that we'll pay you more if you get another degree. And that shouldn't be the case either. We should incentivize you for doing really meaningful professional growth, you know, um, for yourself. Um, yeah. And then the one thing that you you started to mention about growing within, um, I would love to see more grow your own programs starting at the middle level um, space. Yes. You know, I think that um, we could, if we could get more middle level kids to see how wonderful it is to be an educator, which that's a tall order, um, but uh, we are kind of our worst enemies when it comes to promoting the profession uh, because we're burnt out and we're tired and our kids see that. Other parents and community members see that. And we have to really change that dialogue to when somebody says, how do you like being a teacher, you know? what's your answer and it better be a really good one otherwise please please don't answer <laughs> you know because we've got to stop being our, our own worst enemy when it comes to promoting the profession and that perceived lack of respect mm -hmm. from the general public i think plays into some of that it loss does. of morale and one of the greatest things about middle schoolers and this might be a good place to end because makes me smile just thinking about how easy it is to please a middle schooler and to inspire them. Simply saying to the students we work with, you, know, you would be a great teacher. Mm -hmm. You're so good with younger kids or you're so thoughtful and empathetic. You would be somebody who other people would look up to and want to learn from. Just planting those seeds in their head, even if they don't become a teacher, it's such a point of pride and there's no downside to building them up in that way. That makes me smile, too. I love to hear that. And I have one of those kids. When my oldest was in middle school, I said, you'd make a great teacher. And they looked at me like I was insane. And I am so proud to report that they are a sophomore in a college of education. Yay. You know, so it worked. It worked, you know. Yeah. But um, they might look at you like you're crazy at the time, but they'll remember that when they get closer to career decision-making time. And I think sometimes dispelling this myth that it's only the best students who don't struggle at all who become the best middle school teachers. Some of the best middle school teachers and counselors I know are the ones who have really vivid memories of either struggling with learning challenges or social issues and who overcame whatever it was that was getting in their way, but bring that empathy to the table. So I'm really glad that that worked with your child. And I'm so glad that we got a chance to talk yeah. to you here at AMLE and to meet in person. It's so much nicer to do these interviews face-to-face. -face. And I'm excited. I know you're presenting. Thank you. Soon. Yes, yes. So On yes, all of the yeah. things we just On talked about. On all the things we talked about. You got it. Thank you guys so much for having me. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you.